This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock, guiding leaders to higher ground. Learn more at MarketplaceRock.com. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, co-founder and co-host. Here's this week's interview by my partner, John Ramstead. All right, today on the Eternal Leadership Podcast, we have Jason True. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Now, Jason is a just a, a business and executive coach. He's been a sales trainer. And something that's really interesting, Jason, you're an expert on you know human behavior, on really kind of daring leadership is what you call it, in relationship building. And there's, there's a big focus of your work. You have a fantastic book called Social Wealth. Uh, but And you do a lot of work helping business leaders and people moving in a new direction or, or the direction they're in now to really uh, get some momentum and energy behind it, talking about purpose and vision. And that is such an important topic. Our audience, is, this is something that they, they love hearing about. But before we, we dive into some of this great stuff, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about your background, your journey, so people can get to know you a little bit. Sure. So I started out getting my law degree and master's in communications, and I went into downtown New York City, and I was interviewing for jobs during the summer because during your second year, you know, that's kind of your big internship summer. And so as I was, you know, I prepared for this, I'd spoken to a lot of the third-year law students, and I, you know, had everything down, and the interviews all actually went really well, but what was really Surprising to me was the last question, you know, they told me was to throw a softball question out there. And I didn't ask what question should I ask because I assumed that it would be something super obvious or super easy. And I learned that the things that we think are like that are usually some of the hardest things in life when we ask those questions. Yeah. So I asked a simple question at the end. So, you know, so are you happy? Right. And it was the longest me to ask and for them to answer and the most unbelievable answers out of any of them that 30 some people had given me from partner level down to associate. So, so, so wait, so you were in this interview for an internship and you yes. asked the people interviewing you, are you happy what doing what you're doing? Yeah, exactly. Because wow. I figured, you know, it's an, I, I naively at that time thought that that question would allow them the opportunity to talk about all the great things that were going on and it'd be super easy. Right. In, in the lens that you're coming out of, right? You're excited to go into this field. You're putting totally. in all the work and you're like, these guys ha have to share the passion that's driving me and in, yes. what you're doing right now. Right. And, you know, when you ask people a question like that and people's eyes dart around, um, they pause to answer, you know that there's a problem because in law school, it's like the first thing you, you learn is don't, you know, don't ask a question you don't have an answer for, right? Well, you, I figured this would be something that'd be so easy because how complex can that answer be? I mean, you could literally say anything to me and you should be able to because talking is part of your livelihood and thinking through, you know, tough questions. And I didn't think that was a tough one, but yeah. It, it really was. And when I found, you know, when I thought about it, when I was like driving home, I was like, well, if every person's having a problem with this, then that's a huge sign for me because why do I think that I can do something that 30 some people couldn't do or are struggling with? So, you know, to me, that was like an eye opening thing to say, 
this is probably not the life that you want to go down and you need to really rethink this entire path because that's, you know, that's probably going to lead you to wherever they're at right now. And that's not a place that ultimately you want to find yourself at. So, you know, after a lot of soul searching and thinking, I was like, well, the other thing I loved is technology. So I decided to go out to Silicon Valley and just work in technology. And I got to work with some great people like Steve Jobs at Apple, um, Mark Cuban when he got acquired by Yahoo, yeah. and a lot of great VCs and interesting people. You know, and then I also rode the way down on the whole dot-com thing when everything imploded and I got to see all the carnage and craziness of living in that world. And then, you know, I was interviewing for jobs and I fortunately had things to keep me afloat consistently where a lot of people really had a lot of struggles because there just weren't any jobs and there were no leads to find anything. So I was looking, you know, to try to find something better than I had and I just stumbled upon an opportunity to come down to Dallas and my mom moved down here and I thought what a great reason would be to move would be to spend some time with her because I had some people in my life that had parents that had died suddenly and, you know, they were actually really good health. So I figured come down to Dallas for a couple of years and live or find a way to get close so I could come and visit more often than I had here and then just go off and do whatever I was and I would never look back, you know, and regret. So I was interviewing in Austin for a job and I got the position and the person there said, I have a better job for you than this company. And he introduced me to someone and that's how I made my way for, to Dallas right from here. Okay. So that was a pretty interesting thing. I've never really had that happen where you get a job offer and the person giving you the job uh, hands you over to someone else. And so, you know, that in was a different company. It was a different company completely. Well, hey, in, in question for you, you know, but you were pursuing law school, you're driving the internship and you really took a huge pivot and, and moved into technology. And, you know, and I think there's a lot of people that are just wondering um, you know, are the path they're on right now, you know, the path they need to be on And you know, as you went through that process, what, what were some of the, the things that you learned and noticed? Well, the one thing that I learned was the fact that, you know, when I actually played out the story in my head, right? So I, I really sat down and sketched out, okay, let's look at the law and let's really have some honest conversations of what I'm really good at and what I'm really not good at. And once you took a look at that, the best, you know, and then I looked at in, in a law firm, how can you be successful, right? So I investigated that and I knew those answers already. And, and how would I make a lot of money? Because ultimately that would give you power because in a typical law firm, not in a corporate setting, but in a law firm, it is structured a pyramid. And he who makes the most money holds the most power, which means then you have more autonomy, so, and I like to have some level of autonomy and I'm a social person and that's not really what the law allows you to do. The only way you do that is if you uh, bring in business, right? Or the rainmaker as they call it, right? John Grisham wrote a book on that. And it's, uh, so I played that out and thought to myself, well, how would I be rainmaker? And I realized that that would be perfect for me, but I probably would be dead at like 45 or 50 from that lifestyle because I have to go out after working 12 hours a day because that would be required and then I could find clients and bring them in and then I would have I wouldn't have to have the law and writing cases and doing all this other stuff be the only way I could be successful. And I realized, you know, when I saw that I was like, okay. All these things are lining up to say this is not the path that I should go on and I needed to find something else. 
And so I found the thing that I actually was more passionate about as a topic was technology. Now, I didn't really know where that was going to lead me, but I was like, the other path clearly is not a path I want to go down. So I got to try something else, and I just decided to do it. I didn't really give it, honestly, that much thought because I knew that the other one was a disaster waiting to happen. And this one looked, you know, at least encouraging in some ways. And I had no real way to figure out what to do beyond just going in that direction. Well, yeah. And and what you're saying is, and I think this is such an important, you know, insight into this is, you know, you look at what you want to do and what you want to accomplish. You look at people that have succeeded in that field, that endeavor, and you look at what it takes to succeed. You look at the price that you have to pay. Yes. And also, you know, what are like, uh, I'll never forget as I was looking at doing some things and my dad was a lawyer and I'm just looking at the quality of life of people, you know, growing up, my dad worked, you know, 60, 70, 80 hours a week, my entire life. And I'm like, you know what? I I knew what that could create from an income standpoint, but is that how I want to live? So I think you really have to count the cost. And then if, you know, the cost is high, you know, let's say from a time and energy standpoint but you know you say you know what that what that gives me the legacy that creates what that does with my relationships my faith i'm willing to pay that price so now i'm going to go find the people that have done what i want to do and then see if they can you know what i can learn from them exactly that's so that's how you were thinking i think that's an just an important foundational piece for people that are looking at what they're doing now or and what they might want to be doing next Right. And so that, you know, all that stuff factored, factored into it. And, you know, I didn't channel, I looked around for a lot of help and I really found little and, you know, in the law, I mean, where are you going to turn to? I mean, I'm in a law school. They're not really encouraging not to do law. I mean, I didn't have any like resources to go to. So I had to take huge leaps of faith and just pivot off of what I thought I might want to do. Right. It was, I think now the difference is like in law school, they have, uh, you know, an ABA that helps people with non-legal careers and it's, and it's built out so they can help people make that pivot. I didn't have that with me. So I had to just do these things on my own and people told me I was crazy and that really didn't help things, right? Because I'm not a pretty young and you don't really have any support. So you have to go do this all by yourself. And, you know, you lose friends and people along the way because people don't understand it. Right. And so you have to take this journey essentially in many ways by yourself because even the people that believe in you don't know how to help you. So then you just got to go with it. And I find that's like most of life. And that's like the hardest part of doing these new things and consistently staying on the path. So, you know, I was doing this stuff in technology and then I moved here and I realized that, you know, the big epiphany I started to have was that I was becoming really successful at times. And then other times I was getting really bored with what was going on and I was being not successful. Hmm. And I didn't really know how to deal with that or what to do. And so I just kind of stayed with it and tried to power through my struggles. And I then, you know, probably, I don't know, like seven, eight years ago, I had, I sat down and I had an epiphany that the times that I was happiest were the times when I was around other people in my job, like externally involved in things, like meeting with the media, talking to industry or financial analysts, out with customers, with partners, with other people. And when I was starting to get the lowest energy-wise happiness fulfillment is when I was stuck doing PowerPoints 
And so I started to look at that. I realized that my emotions were really the key part of the things that I was doing. And unless I figure out how to really tap into what emotions were driving me, um, I would n- never be able to be successful because I was then always dependent on things external to me to give me something. And I didn't have control over those things in my life. But I have control over my own emotions and how to tap into them. Um, so I had this epiphany, but I really didn't know how to get there. So it still was a struggle. And then, you know, I found some coaching and I did some other things. And I started to realize that my top two internal emotions were really connecting and belonging. And until I started a career in a business that was really built off of those things, then I would never really be able to create a job that I loved every single day. And that wasn't a job anymore. It was something that was a passion of mine. And then I could be much more of a service to people and helping, you know, giving and inspiring. And so I thought to myself, you know, one of the things I, I went to a, uh, the number one or the boys uh, Jesuit school, high school in the country, yeah. Loyal Academy. It was in, you know, na- uh, it was in, you know Chicagoland area. You know, one of the, the model of a school is being, you know, a man for others and it was service first. And I thought to myself, I really have to get back to that and figure out how I can do that more than I currently am, not only in my job, but my life. So, uh, you know, I got really fortunate and I had a couple people came to me to try to help their friends move from one city to another. And they were guys that were like around 30, engineering, introvert, and really worried about creating a life that they loved and also transitioning to a new job and they had never lived in another city. So I helped both of them. And in 90 days, they were happier and really on the way to success than they had ever been before. So I knew I had a kernel of nugget. If I did it twice, I could do it a thousand times, right? It was fortunate that with two people, not one. Yeah. And so then I just took that and it was like, okay, I have something here. Let me turn to someone else and see if this is, could be a value. So I knew someone who had a lifestyle coaching business. And, uh, you know, I pitched an idea for a book um, for stuff that we could do and just kind of took off, you know, from there. And I was doing this as a side hustle with having a job in corporate America and trying to balance that for several years. And then, you know, I had a huge falling out with my business partner. I realized that I was putting myself second in this, you know, uh, partnership. And then I really had to go out on my own and create a business that I needed to create. And then I've been researching my book, Social Wealth, for a long time and talking to really well-known people and people all over the world and interviewing individuals. And so I was like, okay, I can use this and pivot off of this. And so from there, I kind of made a couple pivots with that, quit my job. And then ultimately, you know, found business coaching, uh, you know, an executive coaching with people, you know, all over the place. And that was really kind of, you know, my path today and something that I, you know, love to do. And uh, it's been fortunate in a windy, twisty road. Yeah, well, let's talk about that, Jason, because what I'm hearing is you took some time and really thought about and discovered your passions, because I think passions really give us that that direction that our life, you know, leads us into it. it is some of the biggest clues in our life for what we should be doing. And, and I think, you know, also that self-awareness of really what our core values are, you know, knowing yes. what we, who we are, not who we think we should be, not our should values. Um, you know, that informs the doing of, 
uh, of life, right? How, and then, because I, I don't think our passions necessarily have a value system, but you have to bring these two together so that they're in alignment. So as yes. you made this pivot, you know, you're working with other people, you're coaching people. What, you know, how, what do you share with people as they're really trying to figure out what is that direction? You know, maybe, cause I think, I think there's almost three paths, right? The direction that I'm on is the one I need to be on, but I, I'd like to know that for certain and get some clarity on the outcomes, the direction, the legacy I'm creating. Or like yourself, maybe I'm, I like what I'm doing now, but there's something I want to be doing on the side for a while. Or you also got to that third path is you get to the point where you say, you know what, I need to pivot. And for a lot of people, this is a very big decision. And I need to actually walk away from what I was doing to move into the fullness of something that's going to really be joyful. And so in this process of, you know, looking, you know, thinking through this, and a lot of business owners are in this process right now, you know, what, what are some things that you learned through going through this yourself that w would be great to share? Well, I realized as I was going through this, I was unraveling partly my entire life. And the fact that I had, a, I had to deal with all my blind spots and get help. Mm. And, you know, I also had, a, I had like hitting that rock bottom like multiple times. I had my, you know, dad pass away and I wasn't really close with him. But, you know, the last conversation I had with him, you know, was basically what I, I put in the book in chapter two was he was like, you know, don't waste your life. Like relationships and people really matter and you have to invest in them. And so that was a huge thing. I had an Australian cattle dog that was, I was, you know, it was the first thing I really had owned and loved that was really mine, like passed away. And that was a pretty, um, you know, 14 years. And I traveled from San Francisco all the way down here. And so that was a huge thing. I also had uh, someone really close to me. Um, I helped them basically from committing suicide. Uh, it was a girlfriend I'd been dating and, you know, helped her get help. And, you know, she then started to really do well. And, you know, I found out after that talking to her that she was going to, you know, she would have killed herself because none of people in her life were really taking this seriously. That's a whole longer story. But um, so I had all of these things come at me at that point, right? And I think that actually helping her in that moment and realizing is stepping forward and taking a huge leap of faith and putting your hand out and someone else put their hand out and then help them, realize I had a way of connecting with people and helping and inspiring and understanding where people were at and having empathy and doing things that I was really exceptionally good at. And I needed to use those skills in a way that I had not been using them, right? So that really gave me the push to really start thinking about how I was going to prepare to have my own business and start off on this journey. And, you know, you said something interesting that you had to deal with your blind spots. And I think that's something that, that can be really challenging for people. What, what is that process that allowed you, you know, to almost identify what they were and then, and then kind of work almost probably in this area of mindset, correct? Yeah, it was. So what I realized at that point was if uh, the one I was really good at building relationships, human behavior, doing everything in the external world, I could really help people with like in a business setting. Mm -hmm. But the challenging thing I had to figure out was how do I become a mini psychologist and mini therapist 
in doing that in a way that I can help people uh, understand the patterns that weren't serving them and help them get beyond that, right? Break the stuff that had been going on, but do it not in a year, but in like a month. And how would I be able to figure that out? Because if I couldn't do those things, because all change starts inside of ourselves, right? We want to do anything new, it's inside of you. And so that part of it, I knew some things, but I was not an expert on doing it. So I said, okay, if I want to become that, I have got to go find people who are doing this in many different ways, combine all that together, put my sort of secret sauce along with it, and then I would have both sides of a business that could be ultimately super successful. So that's what I did. I mean, I hunted around for people, and I'm really good at that too, was finding people. So I did coaching. Um, you know, I rolled in classes, I listened to some podcasts, you know, I spent a lot of my available resources at that time doing these things because I knew that it didn't matter. I had to figure it out and I wasn't going to do it by myself. Because so, so what I'm hearing is you took the time to invest in yourself. Yes. And I and pushed I, all my chips in. Like this was one of those plays in life where I knew that it was not only my business, but it was probably just my existence as a human being here. Hmm. And I had to take a huge leap of faith that there's a reason why I was at this point and I needed to figure it out. And if I wasn't going to go all in on this, I was never going to uh, be able to be successful, right? And so I'd love to ask you a question, you know, and, you know, oh, yeah. up to that point, Jason, you know, right is right before you decided, okay, I'm going all in, I'm putting my chips in the middle of the table. What did, what went through your mind? What had to be in place for you to get to that point where you just said, okay, I'm all in, I'm going to do what it takes. I'm going to invest in myself. Uh, you know, I think the, the series of events I had that I, I told a little bit about, I think, put me in that place because I realized at that point, in essence, in many ways, I was probably at a rock bottom and I really didn't. And there was a reason why I was skimming off the bottom and all these things were happening. It was because, you know, and I told people this, you know, you could say the universe, you could say divine, you can say God. I don't care how someone looks at it, right? Because, you know, but Somehow or another, these things kept happening, and it was a sign for me that I needed to wake up from this and do something completely different than I had been doing. And so that, to me, was a point in which I knew somehow there was a signal being sent, so then I just did it. And I had to believe in that, because if I didn't, uh, then I would continue to have these things happening, because they were at a relatively more rapid pace. And they were not fun. And, and I just felt like my whole life I was walking around and I have a lot of friends and I'm very social and I'm an extrovert. And I just felt like I wasn't living my own life anymore. Hmm. So, so you knew what you didn't want. You knew we call it with, with my clients the fro to where I'm going from. But also, what is that thing I'm moving toward that's really compelling and motivating? Yep. And, and how did you crystallize what that too was? Well, you know, a couple things that I ultimately figured out was, you know, I think when people operate on how to create change in their life, the things that get in their head is their blind spots, right? Because if you could see them, then you could understand them and figure them out. But we can't because they're essentially survival patterns that are in our head and they're there to keep us safe, but they really don't keep us safe because they mm -hmm. prevent us from finding our patterns of purpose because it is this perceived threats and perceived fears that are really not even there. And these things stem 
from our stories that we tell ourselves every day, the lack of emotions that we feel in our lives, not wanting to be vulnerable, our limiting beliefs, and which typically come down to, you know, who do you think you are? And I'm not worthy. And it's one of the two. And those tapes play in our head, which create shame. And then dipping down a little farther, it's modeling after childhood, meaning that your parents or someone close to you have told you things and you've seen things that then you've learned, accepted, and modeled that are not serving you anymore and that are holding you back. And so I realized that all of these things on the side of change, I had to really understand inside of myself because if I didn't figure this stuff out, I would never be able to take the steps forward because I wouldn't understand the patterns that I needed to change. And that was the key thing. There were patterns going on that I needed to change and I needed to figure out how to do it. And thinking through it wasn't going to help me. So I added some, I added people who could help me figure this stuff out, right? And understand what was going on in order for me then to really ignite sort of a purpose in my life. I had, to, you know what I'm saying? I had to start from step one before I could get down to finding my purpose and passions. I had to really go back to the beginning, but I didn't want to sit there in therapy, right? Because I didn't have the time. And I knew that wasn't a useful tool because I couldn't model that on my business. So I had to find people that could do this stuff fast, right? That had doing this stuff in sort of self-help community um, that I thought would make the most sense to me when I was going through it. And so that's what I did. And I just spent a lot of time looking and finding and then finding people that could help me figure out all this stuff. And then that, you know, that led me to having, you know, a couple huge revelations or realizations. One is that in my other business that I end up leaving, I was playing Robin and not Batman. I was doing a lot of the business coming up to thinking, yet I was letting myself be second in, in letting someone else control it, which said, I didn't believe in myself enough. Mm, interesting. Number two was I really, because I had grown up in a place, my mom had been working, my parents had been divorced, my mom was a nurse anesthesiologist and worked overnight, like three nights a week, I was by myself. So I was so self-sufficient asking for help. I couldn't really ask for help because I don't know how to because I didn't really have anyone to ask. I didn't have any adults then. I had no siblings, so I was all by myself. So for me, if I didn't do it and can figure it out, then it really didn't get done. And so, so, so these are some of these patterns that you've, as you've grown older, you've recognized that were running in the background. Yes. And then I learned that, you know, my mom had always, you know, I love my mom, but, you know, she'd always worked really hard and wanted me to be someone that I really wasn't. And so I tried by trying to make her pr proud, I was actually not living my own life. Right. So that was the other part of it. And I started to let other people's opinions shape more of the things that I was doing than what I really wanted to do. And I did that even in my side hustle, although I, it was the right direction. It wasn't me doing it. So mm. I realized that those three things were probably, you know, the biggest challenges that I with patterns that I wasn't seeing that all stem from things when I was small that manifested itself in different ways as I was living my life today. And I had to just basically take leaps of faith uh, in those directions without worrying about what was going to happen. You know, the, 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 these patterns that you're talking about, I'm sure that uh, there's some very common ones that we all have from how we were raised, especially in this millennial generation. And I, I, I would guess a lot of people listening can really relate to a lot of things that you're saying right now, Jason. So you know, as you work with a client, um, 
what do you do to help them recognize some of these patterns, some of these models, maybe some of these limiting beliefs and move through and past those to, to turn into what I call liberating truths and, and kind of rewrite that code on how we're viewing ourselves, our identity, how we're um, really being true to what we should be doing versus what we think, you know, I call it the tyranny yes. of they, right? What they uh -huh. think, you yes. know, <laughs> we should be doing. Right. And I think that's a, a really important thing. So usually when I'm on the call with someone or just someone who may be coming to me as prospective client, like I'll ask them a question. So what is it that you want to change? Like what behavior do you want to change? And the key thing there is the people always have something in mind. And I think the, and the problem is, is that for instance, uh, a client for mine, this is a great example, a client, uh, I was, a client of mine asked me to do sales leadership training for a group of people. And so I asked someone, you know, to raise their hand about something that they end up that they wanted to change. And one of the women was there and she was in her mid thirties and she's like, I want to be a better sales leader and to sell more. And I said, all right, well, tell me more. What does that look like? So I asked her a question. So I said, what stories do you tell yourself that now that are preventing you from doing this whenever you're feeling like really emotional about it? And she was like, well, people don't want to listen to me. They don't want to hear me talk. Right. And that was really interesting to me. And I said, okay, tell me more. So what emotions are you feeling when that's happening? And when you're in that place and she said to me that she's feeling shame, guilt, um, and sadness. And so I mm. asked her some more questions and I was, what would the limiting belief that you thought in your head? And, you know, and she started, she came with the answer of saying, you know, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm never going to be able to do this. And then we delved down a little deeper and I asked her about questions about growing up in childhood and what things were coming to her mind. And she, you know, said a couple of things. And then she mentioned the fact that, you know, when she was getting on the telephone, when she'd call home from college or high school to her mom or grandmother, they would always complain about her voice. And she has a very, uh, you know, high-pitched voice. And they would always tell her, if you don't get your voice in line and lower the octave and everything else, you're never going to be successful. And you're never going to find a man. You're never going to be successful in your job. Ouch. So, right? <laughs> wow. So, right? And this is something she hadn't thought about in like, you know, probably like 15 years. or, act, mm. or And she hadn't shared with anyone else. And now she's talking in front of a group full of people about this. And I was like, well, the only way you're going to get better is you have to reframe what that is and change that into something that's actually powerful for you. Because the problem is every time you're picking up the phone and talking to a client or prospect, that tape is running through your head. And no wonder why you're having resistance and no wonder why you're feeling like no matter what you do, it's never good enough. So we just basically, I said, the one thing you have to do is change it around is to tell your clients and prospects when appropriate, right, in, the, in a conversation is that's the reason you got in sales was and you literally need to tell them why specifically and be vulnerable and open up. And it said, it'll be hard, but everything will open up around you, right? Because one, then you'll start, if you tell that story, the limiting beliefs will all turn around. It's I am good enough. I am worthy. I can do this in my life. And the emotions will turn from shame to feeling powerful. Like I'm, I'm leading my life. I love what I'm doing. I'm sharing myself. I'm being of service, right? All these emotions will fly and then the stories will up, go there and the behavior will change. And like in less than a couple of weeks, 
I mean, it literally all turned around. And within a couple months, she was selling way more than she had sold before, was like in the top 1% in the company she was in. I mean, and it was off to the races. So like, that's a small example. Yeah, but really Jason, powerful. there's so much. Yeah, I agree. It's so powerful when people almost connect to their own personal story and they be authentic and you share that with people. Um, but getting, you know, sometimes for people, they, they need like, you know, talking to somebody like, you know, the work you do, the work I do to be able to understand how to do that, why to do that. You need to connect the dots because yeah. the, pro because the problem is, is that every day she was at work on the telephone, she was reinforcing the fact that she wasn't good enough. Mm. And so that affects you in every area of your life. It wasn't just work. It's everything. But you don't, we don't connect the dots of those things, and it's impossible to do that by yourself. Like, I, I can't do that. No one can do that. I mean, everyone needs other people. That's why you'll see the, almost all the most successful people I see doing this stuff of coaches. Like, I don't see, you know, people not, right? One of my coaches who's making, you know, multi-seven figures, you know, did a mastermind like two years ago, he told me, and he had to write a check for $150,000 for a year, and he'd never written a check that big either, ever. And he was concerned in writing it, but he just did it because he's like, if all these small people are in one place and they're all writing checks, there's a reason why they're doing it. And I want to do that because I just take the leap of faith it's going to work out. And of course it did, but this is life, right? We have to, we, we have to take leaps of faith and try these new things because we don't get the evidence until after we do this. And I think the other problem happens is that you, do, you take a leap of faith in life because of the landing. You want to have that, you know, outcome and you get attached to the outcome instead of the experience. And we're not guaranteed that landing, whatever it is that you might think that you're going to take. All you are is the opportunity for an experience that you can have and learn from that. And that's it. Well, I, I think you're bringing up, you know, that's an interesting point, right? The leap of faith. Why are people afraid to take the leap? And I don't think it's being in midair. They don't know what the landing's going to look like. And it's almost that wrong. If I fail. I'm wrong. It's the wrong view of failure. It is. It's failure. Failure is I am bad, which is shame. Yeah, Guilt which, is, which is a I, fixed mindset. Which is a fixed mindset, right? Guilt is I've done something wrong and it's a behavioral thing that I can change, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and that's the difference, right? So people in essence see that as some sort of, you know, a uh, behavioral change that they can pivot off of. And when you talk, when I talked, I talked to hundreds of successful people writing my book and I asked them a simple question out of every 10 new things that you do, how many of those things work out the first time? And, you know, the average answer was between five to seven of the th new things they do, they fail. So that told me that if these really successful people are all doing it at that rate, then you're, no one else is going to be that successful either. And you have to learn from the experience and pivot and, and sometimes pivot multiple times in order to get where you want to go. So wh where do you think this core, f this fear of failure, this fear of trying comes from? Uh, you know, I, I equate it with a couple things. One, I think we live in the ESPN highlight and Facebook. So we look at everyone else and we want it now because we think that because we see everyone's successes and we don't see their uh, challenges that we want that then. I think we, we think everybody's batting nine out of 10, don't we? And they're batting, exactly. they're batting two and 300, just like all the rest of us. Yeah. 
I think that we live, and that also gets us in the wanting things now. I, I also don't, I also think that we view life in a very linear path, meaning someone starts a business, they all of a sudden find a breakthrough, they make a lot of money, they sell it, get bought out, and have a stack of cash. But it's all not linear. They don't look at the sweating of nights, they don't look at the time the business almost went into failure, about all the other things that were happening, and how they had to move left, move right all over the place. And I think that's the problem. And so then people see this and think, well, how can, you know, that person must have some gift that I don't have. When the reality is, is that maybe that is true in some ways, but what they did was have grit, determination, and a hunger that you don't have right now because you're not putting forth the effort. But it was very nonlinear, meaning it's just all over the place. And something happened, but who knows why that happened, right? Mm -hmm. It's not some divine gift or some path, right, that had to happen. There's a requirement that you have to be involved in this, right? I think that's part of it. I think then it's this comparison to other people, right? And that we want to compare and we want to say, hey, oh, geez, that person's doing great. Like, why don't I have that, right? And then it makes us feel less than and then we don't take any action. So I think all those things start to go forward. And then also you don't have the right support because, you know, I found that doing this, the hardest thing for me, and I'm still searching this out, is finding people that are forging a path in life. And I don't care where you live, they're not coming to you. You have to go and find people that are forging paths in life and that are doing these things that we're talking about today because they're the hardest people to find. And you don't have the people around you. You don't have the support and mindset in the day-to-day. It becomes really hard to do these things consistently over time. You know, uh, you know Jim Rohn, I love his quote, right? You're the, yep. you're the average of the, the five closest relationships yes. that you have. Yes. And I found in my journey the times where I've had the most growth, even some of the times that have been most challenging, that have required the most change internally, one of the common themes, if I go back and really look at that, was I was around people that were on that same journey, that were yes. succeeding, they were failing, they were struggling, and they were, and they were, we had the kind of relationship where we could, they could be honest with it about me uh, or to me about what they were going through. And you know what? That just gave me the courage to take that next small step forward and that next small step forward. And I agree with you, Jason. If you don't have that kind of relationships around you, it makes this process so much harder. I, I honestly don't think I could have done it solo, quite frankly. Uh, no one can, right? Yeah. I think that's the end of the day. You really find out is that your relationships, and that's the reason why I wrote the book, was that your relationships are really with with other people bring you the greatest meaning, right? But the number one relationship you have to have in life is with yourself. Because if you don't have that, then none of it happened. And really, one of the biggest hierarchies that I have learned through getting coaching and other people is ultimately it has to be yourself, a divine, God, whatever you want to put in, and other people third. And most people look at that as saying being selfish. And I'm like, no, what that is, is you have to take care of yourself, you know, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. And then secondly, you have to believe there is something bigger out there than yourself because otherwise you won't take these leaps of faith. You won't see that all these things are actually interconnected when they are nonlinear processes and doing things and trying are all part of the process. And there's something bigger out there that's making this possible. And then other people then fit into this picture. 
And when you get the when you get those hierarchies moved around, you get in trouble because sometimes some people put other people, other people, other people. Sometimes they put themselves, themselves, themselves. Sometimes they'll put something and they'll change these around. And ultimately, what happens is then um, they don't. They may take. They may say, "Well, I'm gonna have." There's a higher power out there. I put that first. Well. I mean, I, I think there's value in that, but a lot of people who do that then don't put enough onus on themselves on actually taking action, right, in, in creating things that are happening. So I think you have, to, you have to understand this hierarchy and realize the part you play in it and other people do and a higher power. And then, you know, a lot of this stuff also starts to come in a much larger clarity for yourself. Well, you know, I'm, I'm glad you said that because, you know, the process I went through, Jason, was, you know, I, you know, recovering from this accident and having all this time to think, you know, the first question that I really had to tackle for myself was, you know, who is God? Who is Jesus? What is my relationship with them? And then the second question is really, who am I? And I was working with a coach, uh, and he asked me a question because I, I said that to him. I got to really figure out who I am, how I'm really wired. And what he asked me is, you know, what if you looked at it differently? What if you asked yourself how God wired you? And I think as you really get in touch with, you know, what are your strengths, your skills, your gifts, those core beliefs, those passions, those longings, but then you get to a place where you, you know, you ha- you're starting to get this clarity but you have to put it in action. And I think there's there's too many people I work with, or a lot of people, you know, they're, they're people of faith, and they're just waiting for that big reveal, that big revelation, this big, you know, neon sign saying, you know, this is the direction that you need to go in. And it, for me personally, in my life, it's never happened like that. Uh, it doesn't happen for anyone. And, I mean, I, I, and I, I've I, had to keep moving forward into this future. It's almost like walking into, like, I think of like, uh, I grew up in Minnesota, and a lot of times in the spring and the fall, we would have this ground effect fog, and, and you, could, you could see about 30 yards into like this big field. Yep. And as you, if you walked into a field that was covered in this fog, you know, the next 20 or 30 yards just kind of kept emerging as you moved toward it. And it's almost like that. We have to have the confidence and the faith to just keep you know, putting one foot in front of the other, being yep. in relationship with other people, being in being in prayer, being in a relationship with God, you know, to help us, you know, to figure out what that next small step is. But um, my friend Jeff Goins, he shared something with me that action begets clarity. And I thought that was just really profound because yes. without putting all of this, what we're talking about into action, trying something, you might land hard, you might fail, but through that failure, if you just see failure as one possible outcome, but everything is going to be something I'm going to figure out what I learned, what I did yep. well in that failure, what I learned from that failure, because it might be those seven or eight failures in a row that prepare you for that huge win, but you, you don't get to see that until you've kind of gone up and down a couple of these rises as you walk through the almost this fog. Yeah, and I think that's a challenge. And I think today people think about this. It's kind of like starting your own business. It's never been easier today to start your own business than ever before. The challenge is there's so many people doing it. You are going to have to put in a lot of work and invest in yourself for several years before most people are going to see this have some sort of significant return. And that's life. And people don't want to do the work. And that's the challenge. And they don't want to invest in themselves, right? I mean, I have a lot of great friends here, but I just went to Harvard for a leadership seminar. And, you know, it was not cheap. 
by any means. But I did it because I knew that part of learning is trying these new things. And some things work out and they don't. But most people aren't doing that. So they're taking the hard road, right? They're taking 10 years to learn a lesson. I'm taking six months. Well, you know what? The difference is now I've now taken off nine years and six months off of something that's going to take you a decade to do. And of course, that's why you're going to give up. But that's why you have to model after success and find help. And it makes, you know, for a lot of people, no rational sense how you're, you know, spend money in doing this stuff. But it's how you got to get somewhere is by taking action. And I've, I see very few people that are taking massive action that are not successful. In fact, I really don't know anyone of, of any of my friends or any people that I know that are taking massive action that don't have successful things because it's not that hard if you do it. It's just the consistency to do it and finding people to help you and investing in it, which people don't do. So that's the, that's the, I think that's the huge upside and hopefully people can take that away is that you will be successful if you do the work and if you do it consistently. Well, yeah, and I and I think you know, as people that like yourself, like entrepreneurs that we know that have put in that work over time, that you know, it takes them three, five, ten, twelve years, right, to be an overnight success. <laughs> right? Yes, right. But there's a lot of work required, and the core, I think, the the common theme of the people that put in that intentional work over time was they really got in touch at the beginning of this vision, of this purpose, of their mission. And, you know, that is what guides and drives them through the the highs and the lows, the mountaintop experiences and those times in the valley. And w what would you say to help people really start, you know, get clarity on what is that that they need to really kind of get a hold of that's going to allow them to keep moving forward in the, you know, in the tough times and the good times? Yeah, well, something, you know, an exercise I've learned that I've modified a little bit that's helpful, and this is a really cliff note version of it, was if you write down the four happiest times in your life starting from when you were really young and write those experiences down and then to the next of it, write the emotions out to the side of it and then ask yourself, like, what, what are those emotions do I prefer to feel? What emotions do I gravitate and keep putting one emotion against the other you're going to come out of it with like two emotions that are basically your top two emotions. And that helps guide you forward because when you lean into those emotions, great things happen. When you take a leap of faith, so let's just say it's like connecting and belonging and for me, right? Well, when I thought about doing coaching and getting people and working with people, like that's in my wheelhouse. Like that's going to make me feel fired up every single day because if those are my emotions, and talking to you, right? I love doing podcasts. Why? Because we're, you and I are connecting regardless of the audience, right? But we have them as well. And so it's a real powerful way. And now, what we're talking about today, because today everybody's listening, it's Monday. It's Monday morning. Jason and I are talking. And when we first got on the phone, he said, how you doing? I, met, I said, dude, I'm doing awesome. And it's Monday morning. And I got to tell you, Jason and I are both fired up about our lives, uh, regardless whether it's Monday morning or Friday afternoon. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, exactly. I think it's because we connected to those passions and yes. those emotions, which are have just infused what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how we're doing it. Because they're internal, right? Because these emotions yes. now, 
when you're having a bad when you're having a bad day, the problem is if you don't understand these emotions are, you can't tap into them. So what you're doing is you're going to look in your life the times that you were happiest and most powerful. And the reason you can't do it consistently is you're not tapping into those emotions. So you've got to understand that. So then you can tap into them every time things are not going well, when things are going well, when you want to have a breakthrough, you can look at it and saying, hey, is this something that I really want to do, right? Is this something helpful for me, right? I mean, if your top emotion is peace and you're living in downtown Manhattan and working on Wall Street, right, you're in the wrong career in business, <laughs> right? And no matter what you do, you'll never be able to find that uh, fulfillment, which is the highest level we can have as human beings if you don't change what you're doing. But if you don't really notice it and don't look at it, you won't get there, right? So it's you have to understand the patterns are not serving you. Tap in these emotions and really from there just take massive action, model after success and invest in yourself and then find you know support. And I mean, there's really nothing you can't do in your life. They'll be success. It'd be hard for you not to be successful at that point. You're really going to have to work. Mm-hmm. Man, that is so powerful. Now, as, as we wrap up, how, how, how can people find you, get in touch with you, see what you've done, find your book? Sure. I have a new website that I have just launched. Uh, just did a new rebranding, and it's uh, Jason, and it's T-R-E-U.com. So Jason, T-R-E-U.com, Jason Troy, and you can find me there. And uh, just there's a white paper on how to influence other people at first sight. There's links for my book on Amazon, on social wealth. It's how to build personal and professional relationships in a blueprint. It's actually a pretty short book to try, try to make it to help people do that. There's coaching on there that I have and just other information. And soon, probably in a couple of months, I'll be launching a podcast. So uh, focus on helping people in a variety of areas. And so it's, uh, you know, all good things. Awesome. And let me know when the podcast uh, comes out. I'd be happy to help you promote that. So hey, thanks. JasonTrue.com, T-R-E-U. And also all those links will be in our blog post for this. And, yes. you know, Jason, what are just some final thoughts that you'd like to leave everybody listening to this conversation with? Um, I think, you know, find your purpose, find your passion, and really invest in yourself. And I think everything else will work out really, really well if that happens. Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode. As I said at the top, this edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock. Is there something that feels like it's blocking your business? The team at Marketplace Rock partners with you in unearthing those things that could be holding you back through intercessory prayer. John and I can't recommend the team highly enough. In fact, our phone calls with them are the highlight of our week. Visit them online, marketplacerock.com, or listen to either of Amy Everett's Paths interviews with us. Episodes 4 and 66 marketplacerock.com for john ramstead i'm steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to eternal leadership